and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Ellen. And my name is Anna. And in today's episode, we're discussing Book 5, Chapter 5, The Ride of the Rohirrim, Exploring Crisis in Community. Ellen, a fun Mm -hmm. throwback for us and possibly no one else is, do you know where we were one year ago today? Iceland? We were. <laughs> All right. We were we were in Iceland and my uh my computer reminded me of that and we were exploring new communities and I believe this was the day that we made the friends uh over the bread at the hotel the that we stayed friends. at. The bread friends. The bread friends um Yay. who travel and were teachers in like somewhere somewhere in South Carolina, I feel like or North Carolina, I'm not sure. But it was a pleasant memory to encounter as I prepared for our podcast this morning. Yay, that is so nice. Oh, thank you for the reminder. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but speaking of new friends um, and and not so new friends, right, we have a guest on our podcast today, which is so exciting. Um, hopefully for the listeners, it's a nice reprieve from having to listen to, in particular, my voice. I sound a little silly because I am still recovering from COVID. So that um, very nasal tone is new <laughs> and something that we're working through together, friends. <laughs> And I'm excited. I'm excited to have Lynn on the podcast today because I feel like every time that I encounter Lynn, they're doing something really amazing for our community. They're either organizing something or creating something new. And I thought, what a lovely voice to add to our podcast family and also to help us think about um, crisis in community. So welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I, I don't know if I will be a reprieve from a nasally voice, but hey, <laughs> we'll still have fun talking about things. Right, right. It's that Midwest uh, tone. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a bit nasal regardless. Cool badgers. Cool badgers. Okay, so Lynn, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself before we get into your story? Yeah, so my name is Lynn. Um, I use they, them pronouns, and I'm here in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I run with uh, two other people here, an indie bookstore called Bound to Happen Books, where we focus on bringing in authors and stories that speak to experiences maybe not well represented in mainstream literature uh, and definitely not in central Wisconsin. And I also am an organizer with a socialist alternative as well as international socialist alternative where we are working to uh, raise class consciousness across the world. I know that you and I chatted just uh, uh, briefly about your relationship with Lord of the Rings, but do you have a, a story about any interactions with Lord of the Rings or any, any history with the series, movie or book? Yeah, I have. I, I, it's interesting to me. It might not be as interesting to other folks, but yeah, I think a typical millennial uh, interaction with Lord of the Rings. My first interaction was with the um, the movies. Um, and it wasn't until, honestly, probably COVID, uh, when I finally sat down and read the, the main trilogy, as well as The Hobbit. And, you know, I, I, I had an appreciation for uh, the, the, the series and the, you know, what Tolkien was 
trying to bring forward from just watching the the movies. Uh, I think part of that too might have just been, of course, the nostalgia factor um, of being mm-hmm. like a child and going with to the movie theater with my family and you know just like really sitting down and enjoying some time together. But you know, I I did not think I was going to enjoy the books as much as I did. But I, I swear there are times where I just had goosebumps I felt like I was like yes just like in <laughs> awe and like uh, I just needed to keep on reading and reading and reading and it's just like I, I think at that point is when I really I think fully appreciated the power behind the the Lord of the Rings series oh I love that yeah we are definitely pro movie experience as a family and definitely pro goosebumps while reading some of just <laughs> these really lovely Phrases. I mean, I think, you know, it can get lost in the wash a little bit. Just what uh, an excellent writer Tolkien is. I mean, the descriptions and the world building is so complex and so rich that I feel like that that's notable and definitely goosebump worthy in my mind. It's funny because my mom would always... Sorry, mom, if you end up listening to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but my mom would always um, make fun of the writing. She would say, mm. like, you know... Aragon, son of blah 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 blah, yes. blah. go on forever and ever. She pro- she she read the book, so she, she you know she knew it. But then I actually read it, and I can think of like the when they were in the mines of Moria, and I was just like, just like on the edge of my seat. Even though I'd seen the movie, I know how it goes. Mm-hmm. The drums, yeah, the drums. <laughs> like thinking of them running through all those stairs, or the when um they were with the the Ents and they finally decided to march into war. It's just like this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I will say also to credit your mom, like it is a little mockable the the lineage. Like as you say a name, there there are a lot of what did we say last week, Ellen? There are a proper lot of, nouns. We're a lot like of proper nouns. Where are yeah. we? Everyone has seven names. All the locations have like seven different names. It's the land of this, this, this. Like. It's a lot to keep track of. It's a lot to keep track of. And and it's also great. I mean, there are, when you love something, right, I think we can see it pretty clearly for what it is and what it isn't. And um, simple <laughs> uh, is not one of them. Well, that's great. I, I'm so excited to have another enthusiast on the podcast. And I think that's a good space for us to transition then into the story that you brought for us today. So would you like to take it away? Yeah, I would love to. So I've I've been thinking a lot about what we've been talking about, crisis and community. Also, you know, maybe this is leaning on other episodes that you've recorded, but chaos and community too. And, you know, clearly it's a a large element in Lord of the Rings and in a lot of other uh, written media. But sometimes, like, the, the nuance that exists within like a, a real lived situation doesn't necessarily come through within writing. You know, what I'm really trying to say is with a, a book or a movie or a play, typically we know that there's going to be a resolution. We might not know exactly what it is, uh, but there's at least a part of us that feels optimistic that we're still going to somehow, some way, find ourselves to that resolution. What that is missing is the, the nuance that exists in uh, real-life situations. And so when I've 
really been thinking about is the different um, social movements and moments of social upheaval that have happened in the U.S. over the last couple of years. My experience directly with with this was during um, this last summer, you know, with the uh, overturning of uh, Roe v. Wade by the um, Supreme Court, was just this real feeling of uncertainty, of, of crisis, and, and a little bit of chaos, too. In the time leading up to up to this, a group that I'm part of had kind of seen the writing on the walls, and we were out trying to connect with people, trying to tell folks, like, this is going to happen, and it's awful, and we need to start organizing and doing something to push back against it now. We are the people who are affected by this upcoming decision, and we need to make sure our voices are heard, and we need to make sure that we are starting to build these networks to to stand up for ourselves and to stand up for each other. So, you know, we starting back in December of 2021, and then leading up to, you know, when the the decision finally dropped, there's a lot of a lot of that happening. And uh, when we were connecting with people, meeting with folks, sometimes, you know, they they knew that this was a potential. They knew that that Republicans and people on the Supreme Court were targeting Roe v. Wade. But they they didn't feel the the urgency of pushing back and starting to organize now. And so talking to people about it, it felt it didn't feel great <laughs> to to bring this level of like uncertainty to them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it felt like okay, we're we're bringing something that is tough to to grapple with, and we we never wanted to just leave it there. It was okay. This is what we see is happening. Here is what we need to do to to push back against it. And and you know at, at that point it was. It was still uh, it was still kind of far off for folks. I don't want to make us sound like overly important, you know, but like, you know, it's just like you, I ha- we have this, uh, we have this idea of what is coming down the line, and we know it's awful, and we know we have to do something, so we have to keep going out and we have to keep talking to folks, but nobody's really listening to us, um, or no one's really seeing it as this like we must take action now. So then, you know, we jump forward again, and the decision actually was was dropped. And um, what that looked like in Stephen's point was a real chaotic moment. Uh, myself and another person who's part of our organization here, Socialist Alternative, uh, we had been uh, working for a couple of months, and so like we we knew it was coming. We just didn't know when, but we had everything. Uh, pretty much planned out. Uh, we also worked with a bunch of other community members. And what we really wanted to do was make these connections uh, with other organizations in the area as well. What we found out was that this decision really took a lot of folks by, 
you know, it was almost like I can't believe that this actually happened, which is fair because it's it's wild. It, it was this moment where we were looking to, you know, to see if uh, Planned Parenthood was going to do a, a demonstration or was going to do organizing in our area, if other groups were were doing that, and we just found that nobody was. And so we had to make the, the decision at that point to say, like, you know, we need to put this into action now. And we need to, of course, bring as many folks into it as possible to, to be able to say, like, this decision, this, this overturning of Roe v. Wade happened, and it was very calculated, and it could have been prevented many times down the line, but for one reason or another, it wasn't. And that is not in the best interests of, of me, of anybody else that was there at, at this demonstration where we had a range from 400 to 600 people. So what we you know, found in that moment, thinking about this awful crisis, we had a, a great demonstration. We had Representative Katrina Shanklin there to speak. We had uh, many people from the, from the protest itself come forward and share their stories. And it was this great moment of, of like a connection through a crisis, or, or I should say even a, a connection despite of the crisis. Us and Stephen's point, maybe we don't have the power to create a large change on a national level that would create the pressure to really make sure we're codifying reproductive justice for every single person in the U.S. But in that moment, it definitely felt like there was power in this, in this community that we were in. Lynn, your story reminds me of a lot of works of fiction where there are groups of characters who are warning against some sort of impending crisis and there's a lot of conflict with those who are believing that this is happening and those who don't believe. And we kind of see that in this chapter even with King Theoden when he finally rides up and sees that Gondor is ablaze. He has that moment of, oh my gosh, maybe I'm going to turn back and I'm too late, but he decides to keep going. And I wonder what tactics that you found to be most useful in that sort of rallying moment where, okay, the crisis is here. It's right here in front of us. Like, how, how did that affect the way that you were going about sort of organizing the community? That's a great question. I, I was thinking very similarly um, of, of that moment. I think what we found to be the most effective was, you know, a couple of things, actually, really um, getting out there and uh-huh. connecting with people, talking to people leading up to the decision being dropped and the demonstration happening to say, like, you know, I am a person standing here in front of you. I live in this community with you. This is what I think is going to happen. Have you heard about it? What do you think about it? And just getting them to stop for a moment. Maybe, maybe they've thought about it a lot before, but they've never really had a chance to talk to somebody about it. Or maybe it's the first time that they have actually um, really stopped to consider it. Being able to connect with people on that, it helps people engage with it more.
you know, the there's often that idea, even within our own history textbooks that we read and we consider to be factual information, there's a bit of narrativization put into it that says, like, this large thing happened or this pivotal moment was solely because, you know, whoever it is in that case, maybe it's George Washington, maybe it's somebody else, I don't know, was there and they made it happen. But what they miss in that is the fact that there are hundreds, thousands, more other people there that were just as influential, just as important um, to the, the outcome that came to be. When anybody is out doing organizing work, if, if they don't understand that, if they, if they have this idea that you know, maybe even they'll be the next great person in history and they'll be the one that can lead and, and bring things forward. It's, it's almost like as soon as that happens, you, you can't. Um, you, you, mm-hmm. you will not be able to do that. And one, because that's not how that works. But two, because you're just going to put yourself into the place of everybody else and you are going to be the one that needs to call the shots. And it's just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way in, in real life. And I think that's another one of those kind of nuances that is um, sometimes not portrayed fully in different forms of media. Right. Nuance doesn't always make for, like, the, the easiest story for a human to remember. And I feel like it is easy to oversimplify because it's like, oh, what a nice going back to the beginning of your story what a nice narrative it's resolved that was the hero there we go like all done and i i appreciate you pulling out that that isn't how it really works in real life and that there is a lot of buy-in from the community that needs to happen in order for for any sort of change to be wrought and that if the need is to address crisis right then that that is the objective. That's the outcome that we're looking to do that. And and the the person, right, becomes less less important, less less critical to that because it's not about, oh, here I am writing my name to the annals of history as the next great leader to your point, but here I am instead as part of a whole looking to address the crisis that's upon us. You're um you're bringing us some Samwise Gamgee vibes, I think, with the with the theme of this story, <laughs> which is the highest compliment. That oh, this podcast I take can it give. as the highest compliment. <laughs> that is that is the best thing I think I've been called ever. Um, <laughs> you know, we had the this large protest. We came together, and you know, people were able to come up and share their stories, share their experiences, share why it's so important to them. But then, of course. The, the question that we had been asking ourselves in the months leading up to this and everybody had on their minds at that time was what's next? Like, what, what do we do? We have all these people here. We're all outraged. We're all upset. We're all itching to create some change. How do we do that? It's a million dollar question. And it's also an incredibly hard question to, to answer. In Stephen's point, what it looked like was, you know, we had this demonstration and what we were specifically up there talking about was the the need to take a socialist feminist approach to the organizing that we're doing, to the work that we're doing, which which really what that means is saying that in the organizing that we 
uh, in the activism that we're doing, uh, it has to bring everybody across the, the entirety of the working class together and, and to join in solidarity in the same fight. But it has to be, it has to critically be an a- analyzing, like, how are we being, how are we being feminist? How are we being anti-racist? How are we being anti-oppressive in all of the, the work that we're doing there? And people were really vibing with that. They, they heard it, they understood it. But in, in Stephen's point, if there's an example of organizing work like that happening in the past, I don't know it. I'd love to hear it. And so what it looks like for us is building the foundation with more people so that we can come back out with more people. You know, at the time it was myself and one other person, part of our organization, with a bunch of community members too, of course, they were uh, invaluable, everybody was. But you need more folks than that. And so that's what we're, we're focusing on now, which is, is, is kind of a tough answer. It's not a neat bow wrapped up on the end of a story, in one part because we're not at the end of the story, and in another because maybe we could consider this the sort of filler seasons of, of, of our work, which is not true because there's still a lot of really great work being done, but, you know, just trying to come up with comparisons. <laughs> so that's that's Stephen's point. But like, if you look to Dane County, there are um, people that are part of the same organization helped to pass the abortion sanctuary legislation uh, in Seattle. The same thing is happening across the country. The similar things are going on, and so I like to think of it sometimes, you know, especially when I'm feeling more nihilistic, uh, or if I'm feeling kind of uncertain if the work that we're doing is accomplishing anything. I like to look to the work that we're doing here in our own community, but the work that folks like us are doing in communities across the country and and truly around the world to be sappy, kind of like the... Why can't I think of the word? The fires of... uh... Mount Doom? No. When Gondor calls for aid? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Rohan will answer. Yes. And Rohan will answer. Thank you. I'm still sipping my first cup of coffee. <laughs> but I like to think of it in sort of like a, you know, in that case, you were, were they were lighting the fires because they needed help. But I like to see it as like, oh, I can look over with my elf eyes and see Seattle and say, oh, I see this fire burning bright. And I know that they are in the same fight as we are. I can see it in Dane County. I can see it, you know, with the revolution happening in Iran or in Sri Lanka, uh, in England. You know, all across the world, I can see these different communities that are that are different from ours here in Stevens Point, but in many cases, just geographically. And I can say, you know, we're in this fight together, and that that really cuts through the, the nihilism that I feel sometimes and really feel, fills me with uh, this, this revolutionary optimism. That's such a hopeful note to wrap this up on. Um, I want to transition into our 
chapter discussion portion of this but before i do so lynn thank you so much for this wonderful story and theming that you've given us and we're going to come back to you in a little bit to talk about your action item thank you so much for having me Wow, what a great story Lynn just shared with us. I feel like we could just skip the whole chapter discussion (laughs) if we wanted to just make this the how to organize your community Lord of the Rings themed episode, which is, you know, the thesis of the podcast. And honestly, (laughs) is what happened in the chapter anyway. So it would not be like we're missing a ton of material. But I want to hear what happened and I would love you I would love you to walk through all of the events that happened because it was a jam-packed chapter. It was both a jam-packed chapter as well as a very brief one for how many things happened. Yeah, for a number of pages, I'm like, "Oh, we have flown through this." Right. So, I will I will do my darndest to relay the chapter with some level of accuracy. So, we're back with Mary now. And uh, the Rohirrim, as the chapter title would relate to us, it's been approximately four days since they left camp and was picked up by our not-so-mysterious rider who we've yet to spoil. Mary is largely ignored by the company, but does have a brief exchange with the captain, whose name is Elfhelm, who basically says, like, get ready. <laughs> Because we are we are on our way to battle and we're about to have basically like that come together moment as a company. So like do what you need to do to get ready. Um, this happens, of course, after Elfhelm trips over Mary in the forest. So it's a bit of an awkward interaction. Mm-hmm. And then also relay some information about the like wild folk of the wood that Mary has been hearing their drums as they sort of progress and kind of getting familiar with that whole like grouping of of folks. Um, and then ultimately we learn that a wild man agrees to sort of take the Rohirrim on a secret path to Gondor that is forgotten, but it's going to take some time for them to get there. So there's some reckoning with the fact that like, oh, okay, you know, we're probably not going to be able to get to Gondor Yet today, it's likely going to be tomorrow because we have horses and the way is a little impeded by, like, overgrowth and sort of tricky terrain. We get just a nice little moment of Mary missing Pippin. And then we learn that the Gondor riders, so Hirgon from many chapters ago now, um, who originally showed up with the Red Arrow to say, like, you know, Gondor calls for aid... Um, we learned that he's been killed in a very, I mean, all killing is violent, but this is particularly awful. Um, and so the Rohirrim realized that Denethor does not know that they are coming, right? So I think there's sort of an additional, like, urgency then to to getting to Gondor and that potentially, right, they're, they're unsure and uncertain of what they will find. So... The Rohirrim come to the outer wall of the city and really take that over with little incident. But as they, as they approach the city, as they get closer to the battle, their resolve weakens a little bit. And we see that particularly in King Theoden, where as they near and take in the um, destruction that's happened in the city, there's sort of this overwhelming sense of 
despair, like, oh, gosh, are they too late? You know, is there anyone there to even aid now? Or are we really looking at a pretty gruesome reality? And then there's a bright flash of light and a boom. And then Theoden is sort of called back into himself and and his resolve strengthens. And ultimately, he sort of summons a, a fighting spirit and leads the charge into battle, inspiring his men. And then our chapter ends with them singing as they fight, which I thought was an interesting note to... They got some battle songs. They're they're singing their tunes. They yeah, and uh, I mean I think to to Lynn's story as well. There's just such a nice parallel between the idea of like songs and organizing as well as songs in battle, right? Like that can be both a moment of like strength, can be a moment to sort of um, strengthen your resolve, and there are many voices leading into sort of this one overall sound um i think it's just like a really nice metaphor for ultimately the action that you're trying to do Mm -hmm. yeah it ended i think on a strong note i see what you did (laughs) 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 strong note strong note friends So that, I mean, that's what happened, right? There are a lot of things that happen therein, but those are sort of the highlights. Where in those events, in and among those events, did you see examples of today's theme of crisis? The first example I saw was on my page 104. I also, on a side note, I did go ahead and make a spreadsheet in our shared Google Doc that will translate pages in real time. So bless you. (laughs) You type in Ellen's page 104. It'll tell you what that is for you. Amazing. I'm going to go to that right now. (laughs) It's called page translator. (laughs) Uh, I love that. Okay. So my page 104 and your page 122. Nice. Towards the bottom of the page, the quote is, quote, Aomer and the king spoke together in their own tongue. At length, Theoden turned to the wild man. We will receive your offer, he said, for though we leave a host of foes behind, what matter? If the stone city falls, then we shall have no returning. I liked this quote because Aomer and Theoden are facing a crisis of what their men expect of them or what the best decision is for their people. I love that Theoden leans on Aomar here and doesn't make the decision in a vacuum on his own, but the two of them discuss and they decide that this is the best route. It's to follow Han Burihan to this old path. And yeah, we are leaving some foes behind us, but what does that matter? If Gondor falls, we're all in trouble. I don't think that the page translates. No, right. it's not right. 122 is outside of the chapter. I thought we were 18 pages different. That is on my page 130. I guess if it's if the page sizes are different, mm-hmm. this might be a rolling number. <laughs> Which is pretty wild but i will say you said at the bottom of your page 104 and that is also 
where my quote of the same text is. So perhaps we are aligned at least for now. Okay, I'm bringing this book home for Christmas and we're going to sit down and compare (laughs) our two books and we're going to figure this out. (laughs) I love that. Okay, great. Where's your next example? It's also on page 104, so don't leave page 130. I'm also using the pronunciation from the audiobook of Han Burihan. I'm really glad that you are mm-hmm. because I was not sure how to pronounce that. And so I appreciate you keeping us to the minute on those pronunciations. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly how the guy on the audiobook said it. And he always kind of went like, huh, huh, like Han Burihan. <laughs> so amazing. I think that's what the little, the little symbol over the a means it means um guttural thrust um if and this is now a plea to any person listening if there is any potential for ellen and i to voice these books in an audiobook example um in an audiobook sample would love to be a part of that project um, i'll do all the songs <laughs> ellen will do all of the songs and uh i will do my very best at guttural thrusts yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so the bottom of page 104 yep. this is han Burihan speaking quote but if you live after the darkness then leave wild men alone in the woods and do not hunt them like beasts anymore this is what he's asking of Theoden. Theoden is like, oh, I'm going to give you this nice prize. Thank you so much for leading us. What would you like? And Han Burihan is like, number one, you're probably not going to make it. Number two, if you do, we would just like to be left alone. And I feel like he, I don't know if this speaks to something that is currently happening. Like they are being hunted by the Rohirrim. And this is a crisis that he's trying to end by negotiating for the the stop of this practice or if it's just a request to be left alone but I feel like he is doing what's best for his community and is trying to avoid any sort of crisis in the future should we make it through this darkness that is currently occurring yeah I think there's some backstory there that's probably in the Cimmerillion so there's no way to know th- about how the wild men mm-hmm. and the Rohirrim have come to this this crisis and and what possible objective there could be in just hunting these men for sport that's just so so brutal and so so callous it's it's kind of wild to think about like why that would be the case but it does feel that Han is really making an effort to, as you say, protect his community from further crisis. Mm -hmm. And then my last example is two examples that feed into the same theme, both on page 108, which we assume might be your page 134. At the top of the page, and you mentioned this in your recap, Theoden realizes that because the errand rider has been killed, Denethor doesn't know that they're coming. Quote, Then Denethor has heard no news of our riding and will despair in our coming. And then more towards the middle of the page, we get a report from one of Theoden's riders of what Gondor's going to look like when they get there. Quote, There are great fires, Lord, said one. The city is all set about with flame, and the field is full of foes. But all seem drawn off to the assault. 
As well as we could guess, there are few left upon the outwall, and they are heedless, busy in destruction. I love the phrase busy in destruction. I think that's very well turned. The reason that I put these two quotes together is because Gondor and Denethor specifically are in crisis. They are completely besieged. We know from our prior chapters that Denethor is having like a full mental breakdown. And I wonder if the war would perhaps be going a bit better if those errand riders had made it through and said that Rohan was coming. If they had that hope of, okay, we just have to make it through three days and then we're going to be reinforced. If perhaps there wouldn't be as many fires around the city and there would be more of a resistance coming from Gondor than right now where it seems a little bit like we've just accepted that this will be our last stand. Right. And I think we see sort of a a parallel situation um, in that Theoden, right, is feeling a little bit of a crisis of of faith and then in conversations with Han Burihan and Widfera, possibly, um, that have given him some hope to say, you know, there's going to be this breeze, things will go your way. And and even if the wind is changing. Right. And so there really seems to be a little bit of a that propels the Rohirrim forward in a way that perhaps hope of the Rohirrim's arrival would have done for the city of Gondor as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like that little, that little, little sliver of hope could have forestalled some of the crisis currently plaguing the the whole land of Anori and Gondor, wherever we are. Six proper nouns later. Yes. <laughs> So those are the examples that I chose from this chapter. Shall we then transition to hashtag TWT, talking with Tolkien? You know it. You love it. It's hashtag TWT time. Yes. TWT time. So good. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, what was your first quote? Uh, on my page 131. My page 105. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's Han Khan, if that's right, saying to King Theoden, quote, Dead men are not friends to living men, and give them no gifts, said the wild man. And I found this quote pretty notable because it's a, it's a very frank conversation, right, about, like, what's about to happen to uh, the Rohirrim and really that Han is pretty, he doesn't have a lot of hope <laughs> for this company. And so I think that that quote just stuck out as far as like, uh, you can't make me promises if you aren't here. So thanks, I guess. <laughs> but if you do live, I mean, great. Here's what I would like. Mm-hmm. And then on page, my page 135, I just like the there's sort of a cry from Theoden to his men, and he ends this sort of rallying cry with, to lord and land and league of friendship. And I like that league of friendship makes its way into that list of priorities, like to lord, to land, and to the league of your fellow friends is such a nice it's such a nice little toss in there. I wasn't expecting to see that, so I just I appreciated that little end there. 
He's such a he's just such a friendly king. <laughs> he's such an affable guy. He is so kind. But I think you know when uh, when we think about sort of Lynn's story and when we think about the power and community to have right in there that there's maybe a, even a, a cultural value placed on League of Friendship such that it rallies folks to go into battle I think is um, is notable and I and I liked it. Mm-hmm. So those are my hashtag TWT. Uh, mm-hmm. What did you have to share with us? I only had one, but I, I limited myself because mine was long. It's on my page 110. And this is another rallying cry from Theoden, where after he like springs suddenly, tall and proud, and then he cried in a loud voice more clear than any there had ever heard a mortal man achieve before. Arise, arise, riders of Theoden, fell deeds awake, fire and slaughter. Spear shall be shaken, shield shall be splintered. A sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises. Ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor. So one of the reasons I chose this quote is because it's in the movie and it's good. But also it is just so rousing like this is i i feel called to arms i don't have a shield to be splintered or a spear to shake but i feel like i could should the leagues of friendship require me to so i was just i was really taken up by this this call from theoden it is also a perfectly dramatic Mm -hmm. which i which i respect like in the moment as opposed to denethor who is drama all the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I do appreciate this kind of Behold. level of <laughs> Behold, I've been wearing this this whole time. Um, which is just embarrassing for him. But I do like that there is, you know, when there's a call for pageantry, right? Mm-hmm. King Theoden does answer in a way that is very satisfying yes. and very rousing for his men. A sword day, a red day. I love that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just think that's... I could use that rallying cry in my life. That's something to shout before you go into a particularly tough day at work. It's just yes. a sore day, a red day. Shields shall be splintered. But I, you know, and I think, though we are being a bit silly about it, I do like this idea, too, of, like, y'all, it's going to be rough, you know? Yeah. Like, things are going to happen out there. And, like, now is the time to lean in to what's going to be tough because that's what we're here to do. Um, so it's not like this magical sort of fantastical narrative about like, no one will be slaughtered. It'll be fine. Just, you know, like, we're going to have a great, great. time out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Okay. Well, it was a short, it was a short chapter. And so I feel like we had a little, a short discussion there. Uh, but I, I am thankful to you. And perhaps it is time that we go back and visit Lynn and hear what their action item is. Yes, let's. Anna, thank you for such a wonderful discussion, as always. Let's go back and revisit with Lynn and hear what action item they brought to share with the listeners today. Lynn? Yeah, thank you. If you're like me, and sometimes that's the feeling of being overwhelmed or of um, being doomer-pilled, as the Zoomers would say, 
can can kind of paralyze you or stop you in your tracks i would really you know implore you to lean into that idea of, of revolutionary optimism and so how do you do that uh you would do that by connecting with the people in your community about the things that you care about you know maybe it's your neighbor and you wanted to talk to them about uh, something that's going on within your community because you want to know what they think about it and you want to share your thoughts on it. Maybe it's a, a co-worker um, or maybe it's somebody that you've never met before. Maybe you're just standing in line at the grocery store or you run into them at the, the farmer's market or, or whatever it is. Uh, those small moments of connecting with other people in your community are so invaluable and uh, I think so often neglected today. Um, but being able to, even if you disagree, talk to somebody else and, and understand where it is that they're coming from and hopefully <clears throat> by the end of your conversation realizing that you share the same you know, interests as them um, will just go a long way to building your own community. Thank you for that action item, Lynn, and for reminding us that there are, um, there is power in all of us to build something new and to build something um, better, but it does take a little bit of connection. It takes a little bit of conversation um, for us to get there and, and to not lose sight of, of where we're trying to go um, because that's when the, that's when the haters win, right? And we're, we're trying to, we're trying to build something new and something great and we can do that together. Yes, exactly. I also have uh, a, a second action item, um, though this one might feel a little uh, like a cheat, but um, you should go reread Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's <laughs> a bonus action item and Lord of the Rings? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> we can commit to that. Yes. <laughs> Today's podcast was brought to you by Han Buri Han's Jamberry Jam. It's organic. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Don. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in Fellowship. Well, this does prove that our pages are different lengths. Mm-hmm. Because that is on my page 104. Perfect. All right. Uh, so and delete the page translator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that we want to get into writing any kind of algorithm that yeah. considers the length of the page. But it does give us a, an approximation, which I think is actually helpful. Mm-hmm.